the whole point was to sit down and read <laughs> and not sit, not sit here and play pretend fantasy that I'm in 1700s <laughs> England in a in a parlor. <laughs> Although that's its own kind of fun. that's its own kind of party. Let's I be real. Agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to have with me today my friend Daniel. Daniel and I have been friends for a couple of years now, sort of friends of friends, but we have our own connection, I'd say. We do, and I'm glad I... you addressed that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's, I guess it's been unspoken, but there it is. I said it. I love that conversations with you are always an opportunity to kind of dig deeper into some things, which is fantastic for me because I really struggle with small talk and I don't feel like I ever really have to do that with you. Well, that's a compliment. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the things that Daniel and I can discuss at length usually have to do with science of some sort. We like physiology, biology, really any topic that we can sort of dissect and dig apart. Not that either of us are intellectuals, but we like to think we are. (laughs) We like to dabble and then pretend we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I think a lot of that is just because um, we're both very attracted to science. What do you think is the biggest attraction of it to you personally um that's a good one i don't think i've thought about that because it's always been a natural inclination for me to always gravitate to that subject because like in Mm -hmm. school you know i was always decent in math and english i would say is my least favorite because i just wasn't that good at it because my attention span couldn't be held for reading and reading comprehension i even thought sometime at some point i was actually was worried about myself for a little bit but (laughs) when it came to science and especially history like science and history were always ones for me that were just natural and easy because I think like science has a physical application of math Mm -hmm. you get to see the result of like what you've learned learned when you've learned all those equations and see you get to see it in a physical form and actually see how it's practical so I think that's probably why science is interesting to me because you get to see all those like little things like geometry, you know, anything that you've spent mainly geometry because it's all physical, but you get to see all that work. And that's fascinating to me, especially like engineering and stuff like that. Yeah, I never really thought about that, but you're right. It is sort of like math brought to life almost, right? Because mm-hmm. there was something I saw. It was a, a show that's kind of in uh, educational but funny at the same time which is the best combination in my opinion (laughs) because you learn and laugh at the same time what better (laughs) what better pair (laughs) but they did an experiment i couldn't completely understand it but seeing it it was they actually physically showed how pythagoras theorem worked and it's like oh that makes sense now like you knew how the formula worked when you were in high school and you know getting the equation to work but actually seeing it in physical form like with a volume of like how the triangle mm-hmm. fit and it's like oh that makes i get it now right yeah and i think that's why i've always thought it would be so incredible to actually work 
in a lab and just work with samples and microscopes all day long because you can actually watch these microscopic organisms interact with one another and you are just just beholding something that you can then control and sort of manipulate these processes to turn it into some completely other <laughs> result. I just think that that's fascinating. So that would be, that makes me think you'd be a good pathologist, like uh, looking at tissue in the medical yes. field and like looking at the different tissues and seeing what's good and what's not good. Oh, I would love to. Yeah, that really, I mean, if I could probably just go back and have uh, one specific choice of uh, career, that probably would have been it. Well, what about like taking another step? What about <laughs> if you, instead of like, like kids, you could look at tissues and stuff like that, but then you talk about manipulating things like it would, what about being like a research scientist for a pharmaceutical company where you're actually trying to develop? Oh, you just things. made my heart flutter. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said I was going to take a step further. <laughs> Cause I mean, like that's, oh, yeah. you just explained that like ultimately that's like coming up with different therapeutic things that right, just basically drugs <laughs> instead of trying to say it smartly. It's just like you're coming drugs. up with new drugs, new drugs. drugs. <laughs> Oh, definitely. That is that is just like uh, a dream, a fairy tale for me. Yeah, I would love that. But I mean, even what you do, because you what's your specific job title? You are in. Okay, I guess technically it's a radio radiographic technologist. Okay, I was going to say x-ray tech, but we'll go with radiograph. Yeah. That sounds more of it. That sounds more <laughs> up there, uppity. You're, yeah, you're rad tech for sure. Um, so when you are at work, are you really thinking about the connection of that science has on your job, or do you pretty much feel that you've been going through the motions on it, or or how do you feel like when you are working in your field? Do you feel like you participate in anything? That that's a really good question because like when you first go over everything as a student and I, it would be the same as any job I imagine um, is that, you know, you have all those things you learned in school and school while well, schooling obviously teaches you all the specific in and out details and all the book things that you probably never will need to know your whole entire life in, a, mm -hmm. in your job because experience <laughs> trumps a lot of that, but it gives you a good base to start with. When I was first starting out, I definitely, thought more not like i didn't take it to the degree of thinking like all right this x-ray photon is going to interact with this atom and i, I need to juice it up and make this many x-rays in order to go sure. through this many <laughs> atoms i didn't never i never went through that far because for me i relate it more to photography if mm -hmm. that makes any sense because mm -hmm. x-ray and light are the same they're both photons so they mm -hmm. interact the same and even though yes different exposure factors a little bit but i mean but a lot of the principles we learned in x-ray school was photography principles if you ask me mm -hmm. because even though i'm not a professional photographer i like to take pet pictures of nature and whatnot and only use manual mode and play with the lighting of the aperture and the shutter speed and all that try to get the right lighting and everything mm -hmm. and to me that's very relatable to what i do with taking pictures of bones believe it or not because depending on how much radiation you have firing at a person you can make it darker or lighter and play with the contrast on the exposure. Mm 
Now, granted, you have all these post-processing features, so you don't have to worry about that near as much now. But it's still fun. Like, with my job, if I take a picture, you have an exposure index. And what that tells you once you take the exposure is if you've exposed it just perfectly or too much or too little mm. based, based on the algorithm it comes up with, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so for a nice little challenge for me now is to see, like, it kind of is a way to prove your, to yourself, um, like, you, you got it, basically. Like, oh, yeah, I got uh, it. Nice. Kind of. Yeah. Because when you get that, that, like, spot on, like, right in the green, like, right in the middle, basically, the bullseye, you're like, oh, right, yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, f- with photography, like, a lot of times depending on the patient, depending on what type of picture you're trying to get, coming up with your own um, technique is what we call it, where you actually choose how much radiation and you kind of control it a little bit, kind of like how an aperture and a shutter speed would be on a camera. Um, Yeah. Coming up with that on your own, you can get a better picture without having to edit it at all. Yeah. And that's the best quality. So that's what I always usually strive for if I can't use the automatic easy way of doing it now correct me if i'm wrong but from what i remember learning about x-rays the the beam is actually shot from above it's redirected or it's bouncing off of the plate and then the image that's captured is really the shadow it is the shadow so think of it more of so you have the beam, like the x-ray tube is a flashlight. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. And then wherever you put like your hand in front of it, like to make shadow puppets. It's like that. Right. Okay. So your hand is absorbing all those light photons from the flashlight and casting a shadow onto whatever the surface is behind it. Gotcha. So in that way, your hand is absorbing all those light rays coming off the flashlight, save for your bones and your body tissue, is that your body tissue absorbs the x-rays. And so then the film behind it actually captures the shadow of what the what's being absorbed by the body part. So let's go back a little bit farther, <laughs> if you can remember, because I'm curious when you were young, right and um you know you talk about liking photography and you talk about liking math and science were you the type to when you were young like let's say like did you have an interest in gory things were you sort of drawn to the blood and the guts or were you more so uh, did you wind up where you are now more so like you're saying from like that photography angle like what but, what was it more that drew you to medical that's interesting well it's actually not a it's not an exciting story one bit I think it was even though I am interested in the gory side of it like in the operating room I love that I love watching okay. it and I love seeing it because that's again like a practical um showing of some of science or just you know it it can be it just depends Mm -hmm. on the surgeon but i love seeing a human being fix another human being in that way it's like seeing like the knowledge that we've come up with as far as medical technology it's just very interesting because i've said this before but especially in orthopedics because they use a lot of 
like hammers and screwdrivers and, uh-huh. you know, they use a lot of carpenter's tools. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of times and saws, bone saws. And so when they do certain things, it's like, I feel like I'm on a construction site, <laughs> like the stuff that they're doing. Cause yeah, but it's just to a human body, Yeah, <laughs> but you can block that out. Cause you know, in the operating room, they're all covered. You don't see the person you just see the little spot that the doctor's working on so like you kind of take the human element out of it a little bit sure but, and do you uh, think that always that easy. always interested you or no always oh, so back to your question um no it's I've I guess I've always been interested in things but I wasn't necessarily interested in like the medical side of it until I was in it okay. so like you usually like if you know some of those plastic surgery shows that would show things like if you saw like liposuction being done or um, any like medical video um, you know a lot of it actually kind of grossed me out when I was a kid but then I started to understand like what was being done and the thought process behind like doctors and understanding that more then that just interested me tremendously and seeing seeing mm. it first in person changed my mind because I was afraid I'd be grossed out by stuff like that but I wasn't and then it didn't bother me at all because then you get in the mindset of like, oh, I kind of understand. Well, not understand because I'm not the doctor, but it's like, this doesn't bother me because it's like you're here to fix the person that's sick. So you're right. trying to help. So the, you get on that mindset and you, the grossness goes out the window. But right. it wasn't yeah. from photography, I didn't get into start taking pictures until my young 20s. Like I was already working in, working as, as an x-ray tech before I started getting into it taking pictures and stuff or doing doing anything like that but really what got me into it was (laughs) just a random conversation with my dad we were out and about and we were at a hospital and I think they wanted me to go into something medical because they thought it would be you know a good field to go into because there's always job opportunities and uh, he just said what about x-ray and I was like okay and then that was it how old were you when this happened I was probably 16, 17. So at 16 or 17, it was suggested to you to become an x-ray technician and you pretty much 100% were on board with that. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know if this is a deficiency on my personality, but it was just kind of like, I didn't really have any other plan. It was just kind of, I didn't know what to do. Or even at that age, you definitely don't know what you're going to do or anything like that you had no capability of understanding that i still don't but still figuring it out but um but yeah so my dad just kind of they were kind of asking getting me to they thought physical therapy assistant would be good for me Hmm. um and i could see that like that wouldn't be a bad a bad gig as they say but then when he said x-ray and i started thinking about it i was like that sounds like that would be you know a a job or a trade that I could have and would be good to good to be and I could take it anywhere because there's hospitals and doctor's offices all across the country. Um, so as far as that goes, I could go anywhere. But um, but yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't this like I had a calling to be an X-ray tech. I wanted to see on the inside of bones. It wasn't that or anything. <laughs> anything big. It was honestly my dad just nesting it, and I was like, all right, and then I just stuck with it. We spoke a little bit about what my dream job would be, I guess, what the fantasy world version of my job would be. What about you? What's what's your so my, 
<laughs> I'm glad you asked because I do have one and it's not has nothing to do with the medical field whatsoever. So my dream fantastic cool job would be to be a Scottish distiller in the Scottish mm. Highlands. And that's what I would like to be because I am interested in the science of brewing and distilling, as you know. And yes. it's and it's not just like, oh look, I can make alcohol. I love the like start hard to put in the words but i love the culture of what a country or a people have chosen to be like their national drink so to speak or like what it is it's popular there because it's i was like, gonna that's what say people... tell me tell me why scotland i think the easy answer would be because of genealogy blah 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 you know that but there's just something about and i think that there's a small part of that that's in you one could argue about gene uh what's the word genetics? gene history gen- the genetics but it's like gene memory gene memory that's what i'm thinking thinking okay of. and growing up where i grew up i am originally from virginia in the Blue Ridge mountains and that's where a lot of the scottish and irish settlers settled and sure. obviously that has a big play in my brain and makeup and emotions if you will so when anytime like seeing pictures of Ireland or Scotland, mainly Scotland, like Ireland's like you see pictures of Ireland and it's like beautiful and obviously and a lot of it does make sense in my brain. But like when I see pictures of Scotland, like there's a bit of like a calling, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, not necessarily it's like, oh, I need to go home, but it's, and that's because that'd be pretentious and presumptuous, but, but there is a bit, it's like, oh, that makes sense to me. Like that climate, that the way it looks, the mountains, the ruggedness, the, the beauty of it and then the people of course like come from one of the ruggest ruggedest most rugged most rugged places on earth and yet they're some of the nicest most well-rounded into people who are so friendly and giving sure which you could say it might be owing to that right like yeah yeah one of the things that impresses me about you is that you have such a recollection and you value historical facts so much. And and this amazes me because I'm the complete opposite. You, you do not. <laughs> <laughs> I will be perfectly honest and um, shed light on myself right now. I am the opposite. I am always amazed that you can recall the things you do. So... <laughs> I think that is probably a direct result of just how much you care about it. I think that probably we all have a greater degree or propensity toward things that, you know, we put a high value on. So do you consider yourself sort of a history buff or is that not the right term? I would say history buff. (laughs) (laughs) I think think I'm confident enough to say that I'm a history buff. Yeah, because I do love it because like as you said there's just so much and then and it's not just and when I say history because I think people think of like when they hear people who like history it's like oh you just like remembering dates it's like that's not what liking and appreciating history is at all mm-hmm. like sure is in obviously that's going to be a part of it but that's not why history is fascinating history is fascinating because you can see how a group of people operated culturally whatever that they decided to do, how they survived this and this and that. And then you can see how that ties into now. Sure. And that's mostly fascinating to me because, you know, like living in the present, 
sure is great, but like what happened that got his got us here. Yeah, yeah, that's And we so wouldn't important. be here in the U.S. if it wasn't for English settlers and you know settlers coming coming here. So, like, as as growing up in the U.S., I feel like that was just always a given. That was always a given natural draw for me was to, oh. So there was people that came here just like, and when you really break it down as far as generations go, you have, all right, so the 1700s was when most of them were coming over here before America was America and it was still the 13 colonies. If you really think like so from 1700 to 1900, that's only like three generations of people. Yeah. Like that's, that's three insane. grandmas and three grandpas ago. Sure. It wasn't that, Yeah. Wasn't that long. And it's like, oh, that puts it in a little perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think thing that's why I like history and even science is because it does give you a perspective and it gives you a true and honest perspective, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, you said earlier, though, that you, when you were young, that you didn't really like to read. Yes, that is correct. So... I would imagine that in order to be learning all of these historical facts that you had to turn a page of some sort to become a reader. Well, a lot of it, because, well, you know, I've let you borrow a, a, a Italian history book of mine, which I have not never yeah. finished because I ran into the same problem you did. It was like, that's just a lot of info <laughs> and it's it very was... boring to read. <laughs> <laughs> it was more than I could take in. It was a lot, but um. I don't know. See, this goes to you complimenting me on my, because I, I know that I can retain information very well. And that's why when I struggle with actually studying, because I never really had to learn how to study, because when I was in class, I just listened and remembered. Oh, wow. It wasn't necessarily a brag. I mean, obviously, there was a few things I had to study, but those were more like vocabulary words or stuff like that. But like, I mean, for the most part, I feel like just going through the test prep that and other things that teachers did, that was good enough for me and able to get a passing grade because just doing that instilled it in me and I just remembered. Hmm. Now, when it comes to reading, though, on your own, which I think eventually you probably decided to do from time to time, did you ever read like classic literature did you delve into that i didn't get into that until well after high school until we okay. had one of our mutual friends introduce that world to me and he kind of became my classical literature guide if you will and introduced mm -hmm. uh jane austen and charles dickens and and even then like i don't want to say like oh I'm, I'm well read because i know i'm not i've just read a couple of things so i can carry conversation and happen to have somewhat of an opinion on things mm -hmm. but i'm definitely not an expert yeah. on any of those but i would love sure. to have conversation and talk about it especially the jane austen stories because i think i'm more familiar with those but i think probably between the two of us that would be the most understood of yeah what what piece of literature, though, do you think had made the biggest impact on you? Biggest literature. So uh, biggest classical literature or any other type of literature? 
I would say any. I mean, obviously, something must come to mind. So I would say, tell me what it is. (laughs) Well, for me, it is the the first book, first story I ever fell in love with was Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And that, that whole, not the whole fantasy genre, but specifically Tolkien's world itself has been one of those worlds that will forever be, once I learned about it, I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. And of course, I was first introduced to it by the movies. And then, because I was pretty young when the movies came out, I was like 11 or 12. Um, you know, I hadn't read anything like that. I was in middle school. And I remember reading The Hobbit for the first time and, you know, adventure stories like that and heroes winning overall over evil, of course, is always a good story to read and fun. But, um, but once I started reading Lord of the Rings and started getting into that world and reading other books that Tolkien himself had written, it was just like, amazing I'd I'd never read anything like that ever to where someone had created their own kind of like their own myths if you will because I've always always another thing like with history I've always loved learning what other cultures what is now considered myths like they're you know the Greek gods or Norse gods like to me they were always viewed as stories because it's obviously you know they were made up in their myths Mm -hmm. so with Lord of the Rings Tolkien then learning about it Tolkien himself said he regretted that England didn't have that itself. So he set on his own quest of trying to create that. And that's how Middle Earth and all that was created, like with all the different mm-hmm. languages and everything like that. So that was, that's definitely been one of the stories and one of the books that's definitely had one of the biggest impacts on my life and will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah. Wow. I don't want to I... go too, I don't want to nerd out too much, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save I'll save everybody the hassle. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I could. I've spoken to some that really feel that um Tolkien's world, his myths are basically in many ways parallels to our world, you know, our mm-hmm. universe. Do you agree with that or not? Uh, this is where I wish I was more of a medieval literature scholar <laughs> and I could answer that better mm-hmm. because a lot of the themes obviously he uses are theme thematic things that have been passed down through Beowulf and sure. Norse mythology and Finnish mythology. I mean, he, granted, he was trying to create this own his own mythology, but he was definitely influenced by English, Irish, yeah. Norse, you know, all, all the different mythologies and you know things that's helped form what modern day England, but uh, but uh, but I think the core values, and this is why I would almost, well, no, I don't I want to make that comparison because I feel like some people would probably get offended if I did that. But I, the, I know what comparison you're trying to make. <laughs> <laughs> but you, right, when you right. make a story we like that, that it. yes, mm-hmm. but when you make story, uh, stories that hit the core, just being a human and the struggle of what it is to be human and to face up against Granted, in the book, it's like facing up against this evil person or evil entity that's trying to take over the world. But you can translate that to the struggles of everyday life, whether or not, I mean, because whatever you're going through is the biggest challenge for you. So it's not necessarily you having to be taking on the world, so to speak, but I mean, it could feel like that. So, well, you're taking on your world, you know? mm -hmm. So I think like that story hits those notes home very well because. I mean, the main character is this three foot tall individual who ends up saving the world. Mm -hmm. 
So talk about writing a book for like <laughs> physically the lowest the underdog, <laughs> the under the true underdog story going against you know all these powerful forces and uh, you know all, all the things. So sure. I mean he he hits home the way he wrote it, the way the characters are and the supporting characters are. It's just I mean it's beautiful. I I, can't, I wish I could had better words for it, but I don't and. Those are the tropes. So to answer your question, I think those tropes are things that why it has stand, st stood the test of time because of just of what he was writing about was so human and so raw and real that like it, it wouldn't be as popular if it if it didn't hit home on those stories or mm -hmm. those feelings and themes. Sure. Switching gears a little bit back okay. to what you touched on earlier, which was Jane Austen mm -hmm. um, I feel like probably one of the reasons that I was drawn to her and her style of writing and her descriptions of her characters um, I think was because they were so relatable mm -hmm. there actually wasn't anything fantastical about any of individuals i mean no, they were just like real people yeah yeah just real people and people that you could envision yourself interacting with or you could see yourself in um to a certain degree and i think that both in the books but also one of one of the things i saw very early on when i was young was the um, the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, which is five plus hours, I think. Um, so it that's is, what Colin Firth, right? Yes. Okay. And um, probably one of the slowest moving films you will ever see. And yet, to a certain extent, you're you're really reeled in. You're 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 enraptured the whole time by these interactions. And, and I feel the same way when I read the book. Um, but you're moving at such a slow pace. And I think that that was something that impacted me a lot when I was younger. And also now is the way that she described the human interaction. It was such a reminder to just slow down. Mm because there was so much nuance in what she was describing and you could practically read an entire chapter of her book and there might be four people, the setting might be four people in a single room of a house <laughs> and she could write a whole chapter about it. So I just think about that as like it parallels my life, you know, could I, could I write a whole chapter about me and three other people sitting in a room and just what happened in that setting does that make sense am i making any sense okay no, it does because i'm sitting here <laughs> thinking i don't know if i could be able to do that because <laughs> that's a that's a big focus that you have to train your brain Huge. to be able to do that massive focus right because yeah. our natural i mean you know how short all of our attention spans are nowadays especially mm -hmm. just how culturally everything is but like that's a good thought exercise to do for sure, I think. Definitely. Because it, it would help you slow down. But yeah, that makes sense. Because as soon as you said that, there's one, I remember reading it too. It was um, the scene where 
Elizabeth goes over to Bingley's house and they do someone's playing piano and they do like the little walk around the parlor. Right. Yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking and Bingley's sister or sisters are there just being, you know. Bingley's sisters. <laughs> yeah, Bingley's being Bingley's sisters. And again, what <laughs> to your point though, like they're not evil. They're just eh. Like like we all know a Bingley's sisters or a Mrs. Bennett. Like we, we all know those people because they're real. <laughs> <laughs> and but they're not inherently evil. They're or bad. Right. It's just like, yeah, sure, they're annoying, but <laughs> they're, they're it's a real person but anyway i remember reading that scene multiple times because i was trying to picture what she was trying to write because in that scene there's a lot going on sure. and there's people yeah. moving and i remember having to reread that a couple times and so in that way I, I get like what you try to be slow you mean by slowing down because you like especially if you're used to reading like stuff just to learn like just information mm -hmm. like there, you don't need to take your time mm -mm. necessarily but right. like when you have someone trying to paint a picture it's like no no like just slow and like just read it and then read it slowly don't let it don't just be like and then Bingley's sister said this and it's and this, and this, and this, and this, you know don't do that that's that you're gonna miss a whole lot and you're gonna miss the humor because Jane Austen was a, a great absolutely yeah brings up an interesting topic Obviously, you touched on our attention spans in sort of modern life, and I agree with you 100%. I heard something interesting recently, and this is reminding me of it. Basically, I heard that, um, speaking of the difference in, in mediums, right? So we have like the medium of um, technology. We have the medium of books. We have the medium of the internet, the television, so on and so forth. And what I heard said was that really the message is in the medium. Have you heard this? I don't think so. Meaning that medium that is transmitting that information to you, whether it be on the printed page or whether it be on the screen or whatever, that medium itself is going to affect the way that your brain processes the information that's coming oh. to you. And I think this is very profound because I, I very much have seen this to be the case of myself, that if we're talking about maybe like slowing down to read a book such as Jane Austen and many, many others, you almost have to be in a mind state where you are not, you're not, um, you're not expecting to receive your information, um, your message through the same medium, for example, as a screen, because maybe on a screen we're so we're so adapted to just be we're just extracting, right? Like we're just we scan and we extract. But with a book, the entire medium presents information to you in a totally different way. That Agreed. medium of the book inherently just by the fact that it is that print on paper, it's begging you to slow down mm -hmm. you have Which is to why slow down. i feel like it could never truly be replaced by a screen or an e-reader or anything like that because because i have i've been bad about reading lately and, and if i get used to like studying for anything or you know reading read, you know, things i read on my phone it's very rushed i already i know it's rushed like, I'm not mm -hmm. sitting there taking the time to, like, think about things. It's just like, and there's the information in my head, and now I can go to the next thing. Like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. 
and that's awful, but like I just finished a book I've been reading for the last year <laughs> and it was a good humor style of book and it it made me happier to read that than say if I was going to read it on screen because I've had a physical copy of a book and a digital copy of the same book. Yeah. I don't know why, but I think maybe when I bought the physical copy, it came with a free version. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, good. I got like a mobile and it just was not the same. So what do you think, though, that you prefer now that we're talking about it? I mean, in definitely this case... <laughs> a, a handheld book for sure. Like I would rather have a physical copy. For any type of information or just certain types? For, I guess for like news and like things like that, I'm okay with it being a phone because it's not, I mean, it's, it's not supposed to be read with imagination necessarily, (laughs) but for a novel, like a fictional book, I would rather have it and actually read it in in physical form. Mm -hmm. Now, do I do that in practice all the time? No, but I would, (laughs) I would rather it be that way because I know I would get more out of it. And I, that's also a two-edged sword for me because I try to make my environment too much to where I'm like, oh, I need the reading environment. So I remember when I was reading Jane Austen, I was like, oh, I'm going to, I've got to light the candles and, you know, turn the lights <laughs> down. And it's like, oh, wait, now I can't read. Because for me, like, I also kind of want to pretend as much as I can to be in that world, as sure, silly as yeah. that may sound, but that helps mm-hmm. me be in it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's a double-edged sword because when you can't get that environment of feeling to, to read, then you're focusing more on trying to create the environment than you are trying to read. Yeah. And then no, you're, you're right. It can you, be distracting. Yes, yes. And then you don't lose your focus. And it's like, well, the whole point was to sit down and read <laughs> and not sit, not sit here and play <laughs> pretend fantasy that I'm in 1700s <laughs> England in a, in a parlor. <laughs> <laughs> although that's its own kind of fun that's its own kind of party let's I, be real. Agree. I agree <laughs> <laughs> well this has been great I hope that you will come again because I think there's so much that we haven't even touched on I did say um, we were going to be pushing the limits with me <laughs> <laughs> you were not wrong But thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. This was great.